some uh, practical things. Um, you've probably seen that there was a warning that the people whose retreat ends at the retreat center today uh, will be offered a guided tour of the forest refuge. That's you. Uh, this will happen between 11 and 12. So, if you don't want to be an exposit for that uh, museum round, then just hide out. Also, you will have noticed that AON is in her deserved holidays, so that means that the yoga this afternoon is not taking place. And um, I won't be here tonight, so you will have to chant and practice on your own. I wanted to say a few things about this beautiful passage in the Anapanasati Sutta, the, towards the end. Um, the recommendation to contemplate impermanence, Manichanupasi, contemplate the fading away of things, Viraganupasi. Contemplate cessation, the stopping of things, nirodhanupasi, and his most delightful term, patinisega, surrendering, giving up. As you will have noticed, the attention of the mind is more easily available for things beginning. Our perceptual apparatus follows our sense apparatus in being rather credulous when it comes to perceiving solidity, stability, reliability, solidness, um, extension, continuity. We seem to be rather invested in this. There is no secret around the reason for this. Uh, deep down we all know that things are a lot a lot more or less predictable than we pretend to be. We all know deep down. We have a gut level awareness of a Nietzsche. But we uh, handle that degree of reality psychologically rather badly. So much of our longing is a longing for safety. It is a longing for predictability. It is a longing for reliability. It is a longing for structure and continuation. This longing is, I believe, quite clearly explained by the fact um, that things are precisely not that way. The uncertainty that comes with a, a world that is not reliable, senses that give us an impression of solidity, yet things th that keep betraying us, is the longing is quite understandable and the uncertainty that comes from a, a gradual um, acknowledgement of the precariousness of most of the things that our life depends on, our happiness, 
the precariousness, precariousness of our control. All this um, is hard to stomach. So psychologically we've devised some techniques. One of these techniques is called self. It's a conveniently vaguely defined notion, which means, you know, any any serious investigation of this self gets you down uh, a rather complex um, academic psychological track. But most people don't really want to do academic psychology. Most people just want to feel safe, want to feel cradled for a moment. And so we have invented this very um, strange concept of self that if we try to define it, is rather refractory and elusive. And yet the feeling it seems to provide us with seems to be recurrently reassuring. It says, oh yeah, that's mine, that's me, this is, it. This is, this is how I see it, this is, this is just, this is normal. Yeah. This is my world, this is my take. And our attention then under the influence of this self position um, favors all the nimitas that are corroborating my hypothesis. This is called science. You, you start with a wild hunch and then you uh, cook up <coughs> a more coherent hy- hypothesis and then you were looking for a theory, for ways of falsifying or verifying this. And the rest is, you know, selective attention, editing out of contrary statements, disregarding anything that might jeopardize your wild hunch, and um, raking in grant money, basically. <laughs> Must be a bad morning today. Unfortunately, I'm more serious than makes uh, may, may make its appearance. You know, once we have decided on this, there being such a position called self, such a position called uh, a defended, buttressed personality point of view, you know, the Sakaya Ditti that briefly came up last night. Once we have agreed on that, uh, that it is real, that it is necessary, that I can't conceive possibly of not having one of these, then our attention being a good soldier, is very loyal to that taken view and will furnish material that corroborates my self-take, at least for some time. And it reaches out and looks for telltale signs of reliability. This is hard, this is solid, this is mine. (laughs) 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 This uh, attention that is basically already of um, a bias in favor of what it is trying to verify. It has already decided what it actually declares to be investigating. So we end up with an attentional pattern that seems to favor anything that gives us a sense of meanness, a sense of stability, a sense of solidity, and we're trying to keep reaffirming this. You know. One way to do this is language. One way to do this is um, studious forms of inattention. So we do not acknowledge change. 
particularly not the disappearance of things, particularly not uh, transitions, particularly not uh, when things are crumbling. So meditative traditions, being a little suspicious by nature, have um, suggested that we shift the emphasis that is in our biased attention, interested in beginnings, interested in promises, interested in um, the start of things, interested in that which speaks of reliability, of resistance, of solidity, of continuity, and we are encouraged by a contemplative tradition to shift the attention over to the other side. So, consciously seeking to establish attention on fading, on disappearance, on cessation. Primarily establishing awareness on change. Change in the things that our outer senses tell us, but also change internally, change in mood change in energy levels, change in um, speed, dexterity and complexity of discursive processes, change in the body. So we are encouraged as a start to establish the sign, the perception of impermanence. Notice this is an interesting one. Uh, One of the things impermanence is doing is undercutting all perceptions because the thing is essentially dynamic and perception are essentially stable, are attempts to stabilize what is processual and dynamic. So the first thing we start, we actually get it into our heads that things are changing. Not just sort of in a reflective level, we all know that things are changing. Famous Heraclitus, you know, can't, can't go twice into the same river. You know? Try going into the river, coming out, going back in, the river has changed, yeah, so it's the famous statement. Everything flows and you can't go twice into the same river. Very obvious, but this is only half of the truth. Heraclitus had a disciple, did you know? His name was Kratilos, and Kratilos was even more nifty than he. And Kratilos says that, you know, you can't even go into the same river once, because if the river is changing, and if you are changing, the notion of sameness is a joke. Yeah? So the idea that something changing and something else changing are intermingling and to speak of sameness is not really very convincing. I tend to believe Heraclitus' disciple was a Buddhist. That's my... <laughs> we, have a, we have a Greek patriarch, did you know that? hereby claimed. <laughs> we are quite okay with uh, adapting to change outside. Yeah? Much of our brain development, uh, so we're told, uh, has been the result of a uh, sudden increase in the rapidity of climate changes after one of our ancestors has made it for four million years with a brain just a little bigger than a chimpanzee. Yeah? There's a tall guy who's walking upright and is had similar motor movements as we have, uh, and yet he managed with a brain substantially smaller than ours. Um, And he was a successful model, you know, four million years, you can't really say much about this. This is pretty successful if your design hangs in there for four million years. 
We're, we're barely doing 150,000 years, just to give you an idea. We're a lot more tenuous as a development, just to... The outcome is still rather unpredictable on that one. So, um, so we're told that the brain developed because of an increased capacity for change. Yeah? So somehow nature has organized it, that we learn to adapt adaptability becomes the main feature of of the of the um, homo sapiens sapiens that was the the big thing because it couldn't be tweaked to run faster climb higher swim better bite more vigorously um, you know tweaking any of those capacities would have adapted it to a particular set of conditions but if the on a bigger paradigm, the conditions kept changing, so more rapid climate change and uh, something in, a, in, in the development favored not a particular streak of our capacity, but the streak of adaptability. You know? This could only be managed by massively bigger frontal, frontal cortex. So we're the outcome of this, so we've kind of favored adaptability. However, you're going to call this, the Buddha calls this learning, calls this development, or other people call it neuroplasticity. Um, we're capable of adapting, and we've been quite good at adapting to outer circumstances. We're coping with change from outside quite well. Some of us live uh, fairly on a, a good deal on the wrong side of the polar circle, you know, and they kind of somehow manage. and. Others of us live in deserts, and others of us live in cities, and um, all seem, depending from which vantage point you look, quite uninhabitable areas. Um, but we are a lot less good at coping with change inside. You know? We're a lot less good at coping with change when it comes to who we think we are. And I think that is Kratilos' insight. The change is not just happening out there, to which we can adapt easily by skills or by training so but adapting inwardly through modulating say uh, skills that have to do with attention awareness uh, the, the the way we we attune volitional qualities so mm, the way we perceive ourselves this is a lot more difficult in some ways so contemplative traditions have understood if we're going to continue this evolutionary project uh, we need to learn some better strategies of how to be with the change inside. That seems to be more threatening. Much of our violence, much of our aggressiveness, much of our territorialness, much of our exertion of power, much of our um, attempts to become someone have to do with the fact that we badly cope with an interior sense of security yeah, or a lack thereof. Yeah. We really badly cope with that and much of what we do, however different this may look, is geared to make us feel safer towards what we sense is basically changing in here, is basically dynamic and it's to some degree unpredictable. So contemplative traditions, uh, I've suggested we look at this change we establish, first of all, a concept of change. We begin to reconcile with this in our everyday experience. 
And then the Satipatthana Sutta speaks always from, you know, the arising of this, he notices, the ceasing of this, she notices, notices the arising and the ceasing of this. So getting into, getting from the static percept furnished by a biased attention to an increasingly processual dynamic experience. Learning to stay with the dynamic part of it, even if it's boring, even if it's threatening, even if it makes me feel edgy. There is good reason it just doesn't, it, it not just do that, because uh, this is also what makes learning possible, yeah? Impermanence is what makes learning possible. The fact that you can mm, breathe and live has to do with your forms of metabolism, you know? Imagine all your mm, erythrocytes suddenly decided that they're not going to carry any, any more oxygen, you know, that was it. Sunday off, sorry. No more O2 transport on Sunday mornings. Yeah? After midnight, the hammer falls. Yeah? Government syndicate. We're all flayed off. We are living because any moment things are changing. Things that are not changing are a big problem. Plutonium residue in our oceans. CFCs in our atmosphere. Problem is precisely because they don't change. Uh, that seems to be killing us. So, uh, the contemplative tradition take that a step further and say, uh, acknowledge change and celebrate in many ways change. Celebrate fading away. None of these words is a harsh word. Um, all of these words speak basically of things that we are capable of. They're not just happening after jhana or after awakening. Change takes place. We can bring to mind this change. That's what anicca-sanyi means. Viraga is not the dispassion as it is sometimes translated. It is the fading away quality. Rajadi means to be red. Raga is the passion. and Obviously, Viraga is the opposite, dispassion, but what it really points to is not dispassion as a state of mind, but the fading away of things of my experience. Attending to the fading away. The fading away of hunger when you eat. Yeah? Who attends to fading away of hunger when you can attend to the breakfast in your mouth? Frankly. Yeah? So we learn to attend to the fading away. Fading away of sound is quite easy. Fading away of light is quite easy when you do this. Fading away of a mood is already more tricky. Fading away of a thought. Usually we don't stay with things till they fade away. Usually when things go over the hump and get a little boring, we just jump off to the next thing. That's what we usually do. So we are encouraged to follow through on the cycle. Stay with things till they taper off. A sensation till it tapers off. A mood. Just sit there with grumpiness or with doubt or annoyance. Or just find a f notice how an exuberant joy gradually, you know, quietens, becomes sort of a quiet elation and then tapers off into a sort of a well-being. And then suddenly you notice it is gone. The afterglow has passed, has faded. Cessation is interesting. Things really ending. 
disappearing, stopping. Sometimes um, I think the word arresting is quite interesting. It means something is there, but it is arrested. Grasping is arrested. It doesn't go any further. It just stops in its tracks. The world doesn't stop. Sense organs are still functioning. Sense objects are still there, but somehow the movement has stopped. The grasping has stopped. When does that happen in your life? Where do you see Niroda in your day? The last one, in many ways the sweetest one, Patinisaga. There's a connection there to the Latin reject, rejectere, throwing back. Um, Patinisaga is softer. It doesn't actually reject. It it forsakes. It surrenders. It gives up. It offers into. And uh, this is an internal thing. It's not that we offer into the grass or the trees. Yeah, you, we we offer, we surrender the doer, we surrender the knower, we su- surrender the willer, we surrender the one who is competent, we surrender the one who um, organizes the agents, the agency. Surrendering the guy who says, "I need, I want, I have to. This has to." Why doesn't he? I have to, you know, this guy. Must, mustn't. Um, this, is the, this is the surrender, yeah? the softening around this. The knower, the doer, the competent one, the one in debt, the one in uh, charge, the one who has to direct your inner, whatever you call it, So ponder these things. They are part of the uh, Anapanasati Sutta. They can easily be traced in the Satipatthana's encouragement to stay with things arising, to stay with things ceasing, and to to broaden the span of attention from our habitually biased, uh, self-serving, in the quite literal sense of the word, focus on the arising of things, to the disappearance of things. There's a wonderful concept in Japanese poetry. Um, if you happen to know Japanese, I'm sorry, this will probably be hackneyed for you. The concept is called mono no avare, and it is the, it's the heart rending of all things. It's that which makes your heart break. You know, the beauty, the poignancy in all things. Uh, there are things uh, which take us to tears. You know, if we attend to them, they take us to tears. Their beauty, their preciousness, and their frailty become so, so obvious. And then you can go depressed, you know, or you can go jubilant and uh, celebrate the preciousness of that which is there. Well, depending on what... If you're a Buddhist, you're going to celebrate because you recognize preciousness. If you're an existentialist, you just... La dernière sibiche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So.
Okay, please uh, stretch your leg for a moment. Um, I oh, forgot to mention that we're changing our schedule, so all all of the participants, all yogis, basically on. Uh, please be here in the morning for six for eight thirty. Practice on your own for the rest of the morning. Be here at two and be here at quarter past seven in the evening. Yeah, so. Everyone is on the same schedule. If you like to come and sit in between, please do so. But we don't have any more bells in in the in between sittings. Yeah. I'll change the uh, program at the board correspondingly. And have a look. I'll be seeing people individually this morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.